The UC Wellbeing Channel, your portal to a balanced body and mind. Continue your journey at uctv.tv slash wellbeing. Well, hello. My name is Paul Mills. I'm a professor of family medicine and public health at the University of California, San Diego. And it's my great pleasure to be here today with Rupert Spira, who is really an internationally renowned speaker and educator in the world of non-duality, commonly known as Advaita. I've been so impressed with your work over the years, particularly the, the utter clarity that you bring to your work that I think has uh, been very much needed here in the West, speaking about these difficult concepts. Rupert, I'd like to begin our interview by asking you to give a definition of non-duality. The term non-duality refers to an experience. And in order to understand what that is, experience is, let's first explore what is meant by duality. Duality is the belief that uh, underpins our world culture, which is the belief that experience is divided into two essential ingredients. Mind on the inside, out of which my thoughts, images and feelings are made, and matter on the outside, out of which objects, others and the world are made. And this basic duality between mind and matter is, cons- is the really the foundation of our, of our world culture. What is meant by non-duality is that in reality, the distinction between mind and matter doesn't exist. That there is a fundamental underlying reality that, that, of which the inside self made out of mind and the outside world made out of matter partake or from which they they derive their apparently separate existence. So let me give you a a brief um, analogy for this. Imagine that um, a woman called Mary falls asleep and she falls asleep in uh, San Jose and she dreams that she's uh, Jane in New York. So uh, Mary is asleep in her bed in San Jose. She has a dream, and in her dream, she is Jane. I'm just changing the names for ease of communication. She is Jane, located in New York. And Jane perceives the streets of New York. Now, from Jane's point of view, thoughts and images and feelings on the inside are made out of stuff called mind. And when she looks at the streets of New York, she thinks that all the objects and people she sees there are made out of matter. And this seems to her to um, be just uh, perfectly obvious. It just seems common sense to her. For instance, she closes her eyes and New York vanishes. She opens her eyes again, New York reappears. And she reasonably concludes from this that whatever it is that is perceiving or knowing New York is located just behind her eyes. And of course, all her friends in New York corroborate the same evidence. Now, when Mary wakes up, Mary realizes, oh, I wasn't Jane with my own little package of consciousness located inside my brain, knowing a world, New York in this case, outside of myself, made out of dead inert stuff called matter. The entire dream, both Jane's internal thoughts and feelings and the world in which she seemed to exist, they were all made out of my own indivisible mind. 
the entire contents of the dream was made out of the substance of Mary's mind, which was, which is indivisible. So although there seemed to be a multiplicity and diversity of objects and others known by a separate self in the dream, when the reality of that dream was investigated, all this multiplicity and diversity of objects and selves were seen to share the same reality. Now, that is exactly what is meant by non-duality. Although it's, we are all like Jane in the dream. Yes. From whose point of view it seems that experience is divided into mind on the inside, out of which our thoughts and feelings and images are made, and matter on the outside, out of which objects, others, and the world are, seem to be made. But the term non-duality refers to the recognition that what we essentially are behind this seeming multiplicity and diversity of objects and others and selves is this single, indivisible reality. And uh, the, this is not an extraordinary experience that only a f- few uh, enlightened sages have access to. Everybody actually has this experience on a regular basis. It's known as love in relation to people and beauty in relation to objects. When we love someone, do we not feel, to a greater or lesser extent, that everything that separates us from the other collapses? Isn't that what to be in love is? It is to feel no distance yes, very or much separation. So. It is to feel one with the other. The beauty is exactly the same feeling when you feel you merge with the landscape or you merge with the, it is so intimate, it's so, you cannot separate yourself from it. So love and beauty are two of the common ways to, that everybody experiences non-duality. Of course, although of course we have a very different interpretation of that experience. Yes, so in, non, in, the, in the non-dual understanding, which is the essence of all the great religious and spiritual teachings, there is this recognition that underlying all the multiplicity and diversity of objects and selves is this single, indivisible, shared being. And the religious name for that, of course, is God's infinite being. That is what is meant by God or the ultimate reality of the universe, which is the ultimate reality of ourself, the, 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 the inside self and the outside world are, are one. It's, and this... All the, spirit, the great religious and spiritual traditions contain this understanding. For instance, uh, in Christianity, I and my Father are one. What I essentially am, and what the ultimate nature of the universe essentially is, are the same. Uh, in, the, in the Sufi tradition, um, whosoever knows their self, knows their Lord. Mm, whosoever knows what we essentially are mm-hmm. on the inside, mm-hmm. knows the ultimate reality of the universe on the outside. In other words, the, 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 their, their shared being, their unity is recognized. So the term non-duality points to that experience. Not, it's not just a philosophy, it's a philosophy that relates to an actual experience, the experience of our shared oneness with all beings and all things. Your book, The Transparency of Things, which I have here, you probably know is considered a contemporary classic. And uh, I've even read the words masterpiece regarding uh, the non-duality literature. 
So for me to have you here today to speak with us on this topic of well-being is, is really a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you. Now, well-being uh, is a fascinating area, and it's been really getting increasing attention in the world of uh, science and academia. I have worked for many years in an area called behavioral medicine and behavioral cardiology. Historically, when we would conduct research in these areas on things relevant to people's well-being, we focused on things such as stress, depression, anxiety. That's where the field was conceptually. And there were journals to publish all this material in with names such as the Stress Journal, the Anxiety Journal. Fortunately, uh, the last 10 years for sure, perhaps a little beyond that, the field has evolved and there's great interest now in what's called positive psychology. You've probably heard that, positive psychiatry. And it's an effort to move away from just looking at those things that uh, work against us and to discover and speak about those attributes that really support our well-being. Things such as gratitude, love, compassion, acceptance, and empathy. And as I review that literature, even as it exists today, concepts around uh, non-duality and the essential nature of ourself isn't there so much. So for an example, the, uh, the Gallup poll, which is uh, widely known around uh, the world, uh, has a, a well-being index that... Um, they use that to gauge well-being across all the states in the United States, for example. And by the way, Alaska has been ranking first for a number of years. But also they do these indices across the world at different countries. And I want to share with you the, uh, the five domains that this particular well-being index focuses on. And then from there, I'd like to uh, speak about what might be missing inherently from these definitions. Certainly they capture very important parts of our lives as human beings for well-being. But fundamentally, there's another, say, level or aspect of our existence that we really need to begin to understand and then fully realize and embrace to have a true sense of well-being. So, for example, the uh, Gallup, uh, these five domains of well-being, one is sense of purpose. The other is social relationships financial security, relationship to community, and physical health. All very clearly important things for us as human beings in our day-to-day existence. But as I said, I think these uh, five domains are not capturing another component of our existence that perhaps it's not captured because it's difficult to uh, really understand and uh, quantify, perhaps, certainly in the West, um, this, this sort of uh, material is relatively new, meaning, you know, century or so. But more and more of it's been addressed by, by people like yourself. So I want to read uh, something you've written, and then if you could comment on your thoughts about well-being from this point of view. So you've written, the, self, the separate self is not an entity. It is an activity. The activity of thinking and feeling an imaginary limit superimposed on the true and only self of pure awareness. The realization of this truth dissolves the beliefs in distance, separation, and otherness. The common name we give to this absence of distance, separation, and otherness is love and beauty. And is that for which everyone longs. So I thought this is beautiful text, and if you can speak... Uh, 
your concepts around well-being from what I've spoken so far, and then we can continue from there. This, your description of the evolution from focusing on the more negative aspects, anxiety, stress, fear, to emphasizing the more positive aspects, I think um, it is the right direction to be going in. Uh, in the non-dual tradition, we, we take another step. We go, as it were, further back to the source of well-being. For instance, uh, you mentioned, I think, the fifth uh, mm-hmm. um, quality that you mentioned, f- physical, yes. physical health. Yes. We all know, um, both within ourselves and in others, that physical health is not by itself a source of happiness. There are plenty of people who are not in good health physically who are happy and plenty of people who are um, um, in good health and, and are, are not happy. So in the non-dual tradition, it, it asks the, the essential question, what, what is, where is fulfillment or happiness or, or peace to be found? Is it dependent in any way on our circumstances, conditions, relationships, activities, etc.? And the the ultimate understanding in the non-dual traditions, which is, of course, the underlying understanding that informs all the great religious and spiritual traditions, is that the source of happiness or fulfillment or or well-being is only to be found in oneself. And in order to to find that, one has to recognize what we essentially are. So the non-dual tradition starts with this investigation into our essential nature. What is it that we refer to as I? Mm -hmm. And uh, we observe that uh, we are aware of our thoughts, but our thoughts are not essential to us. Our thoughts are always coming and going. Feelings, sensations, perceptions are, are always coming and going, but there's one element of experience that always remains present, that remains, as it were, the background of experience. And uh, this is what we call I. We have called ourselves I since we were five-year-old girls and boys. When we were 10-year-old, we referred to ourselves as I. When we were 20 years old, we referred to ourselves as I. Throughout our lives, we have referred to ourselves as I. So I indicates this, uh, um, the ever-present element in all changing experience. Since we were... Five-year-old girls and boys, our thoughts, feelings, sensations, perceptions have have changed innumerable times. But this that we refer to as I has remained continuously present, or more accurately accurately is ever-present throughout experience. And if we make a deep investigation as to what this I is, we just find the experience of, of being aware or awareness itself. And we express this when we say, I am aware of my thoughts, I am aware of my feelings and sensations, I am aware of perceptions, I am aware, I am aware, I am aware. It runs, being aware runs throughout all experience. So this is the, the, first, the first step that we take to recognize I am the presence of awareness um, to which or within which all experience arises. What are the approaches, the methodologies that the Advaita tradition 
uses and advocates and teaches to help people wake up to the phenomenon that yes. all is that, I am yes. love, and all is beauty. Yes, okay. There is basically a two-step approach. And that the first step involves a, a turning away from the objective elements of our experience. And by objective elements, I don't just mean perceptions of the world, I mean sensations of the body, images, memories, feelings, thoughts, every, everything that has an objective quality. So the, the, the non-dual, the first step of the non-dual understanding involves, uh, is often initiated by a question such as, what is it that knows or is aware of your experience? Mm -hmm. Now, if I were to ask you, uh, what time is it? You would direct your attention to your watch. If I were to ask you, um, what's the weather like? You would look outside the window. If I were to ask you about what you had for dinner last night, you would direct your mind towards an image of last night's dinner. So in each of these three examples the mind directs itself towards some kind of objective experience, a thought, a perception, a memory. But now, if I were to ask you, what is it that knows or is aware of all of these experiences? What happens then? Where does the mind go to find the answer? Mm -hmm. If it goes towards an object, I'm just going to reassert the question and say, no, but what is it that is aware of that object? Mm -hmm. And in this way, eventually the mind realizes that it, in order to find the answer to this question, it cannot direct itself towards a thought, a feeling, an image, a sensation, a perception. In other words, the mind is being invited in this unknown direction, in this objectless direction. It is being invited backwards or inwards towards the essence of itself or the source of itself. And this practice is really the, the essence of uh, meditation or, or prayer. Some forms of, most forms of meditation and prayer involve the directing of attention. Mm -hmm. But in this approach, it, the mind isn't given anything, it doesn't involve the focusing of the mind. It is more a relaxing of the mind. The mind has to go in this objectless direction. It has to sink into, the, into its essence, into the, into the heart of awareness. Mm. Uh, the Sufi poet Rumi described this process so um, beautifully and, and accurately when he, he said flow down and down and down in ever-widening rings of being. Mm. And what he was inviting, what he was suggesting to the mind was instead of flowing outwards towards the objects, towards your thoughts, towards your feelings, towards memories, let the mind sink, flow down or backwards. And he described it so beautifully, in, in ever-widening rings of being. What he's suggesting is that as the mind sinks or relaxes back towards its source or essence, it is, in most cases, gradually divested of its limits. Mm -hmm. And at some point there is this recognition that the essential nature of the mind, that is, the essential nature of what we are, is unlimited 
being, unlimited self-aware being. In other words, our being, what we essentially are, is not limited to or confined by our thoughts, feelings, sensations. What we essentially are is this uh, open, empty, colorless, transparent, uh, unlimited being. Being, being, awareness. Yes, self-aware being. Yes. Let me ask you about this, further about this journey. So there, there are the teachings that uh, you're speaking about that help direct people to come to realization of their essential nature, the, the, the oneness, the universality of awareness and being. Yes. And I've known many people over the decades who get on spiritual paths seeking and for the purpose of finding this realization and in the context of our conversation on well-being, it can be a, a challenging journey for many, uh, some getting um, maybe stuck on the idea of being on a path, stuck on certain thoughts and beliefs about that that can be a hindrance to them successfully following and coming into uh, the fruition of that journey for themselves. And can you speak about that for, for a moment? Um, how do you help direct people, and perhaps it's doing what you just spoke about, but, but you probably see this on some of your retreats where people can, the, people, the mind can get very stuck and focused on a belief and a thought, and it's hard for people sometimes to let go of that take that step back, and then yes. the next step, and then the next step. Yes. yes, most people feel that they need to travel on a path from where they are to where they want to get to. And this is, of course, um, supported by mainstream culture that tells us if we, all the things we must do or acquire in order to achieve fulfillment. So this idea of progressing from where we are to where we want to get to through a series of objects, events, or relationships is very deeply instilled into us, not just in our conventional materialistic culture, but in fact in our spiritual traditions Indeed, as yes, well. Yes. So that's why the spiritual tradition for many, the spiritual journey for many people seems to be a series of arduous um, obstacles to, to be overcome before we finally reach at this, reach at this exalted state called enlightenment or awakening or liberation, whatever it is we call it. So the, the, the direct path that I'm suggesting, uh, which is really the essence of the non-dual, uh, it is the kind of inner essence of the non-dual approach, it doesn't involve going through a series of steps, a ser- series of steps purifying the mind and the body before it finally reaches the, mm-hmm. the goal of fulfillment or enlightenment, whatever we call it. It's based on the recognition that we are right now already the essential, unlimited, infinite presence of awareness, only that presence is obscured by or mixed with layers of thoughts and feelings. So the the direct path doesn't involve a series of arduous, Tasks. It involves a simple recognition of what we already and essentially are. For instance, if I were to suggest to you now, stand up and take a step towards yourself, what would you do? You would stand there, you wouldn't be able to move. And even if you did move, 
you wouldn't either take a step closer to yourself, nor would you be able to take a step away from yourself. So uh, this direct approach, which is the essence of the non-dual teaching, suggests that what we essentially and already are is this perfectly peaceful, inherently fulfilled presence of awareness. It's just that what we are has been so thoroughly mixed with thoughts, feelings, beliefs, ideas, memories, etc., that we have lost sight of or lost touch with our essential being. And hence, it, it's, a, it's more to do with recognizing what we are than becoming something new. And in fact, the word revelation comes from the Latin revelare, meaning to, simply to, to lay bare. It, it's a laying bare of what we essentially are underneath all our thoughts, feelings, memories, ideas, etc. So the, and this, this um, laying bare of our true nature can be initiated by a question such as um, what is it that is aware of your experience or uh, what element of your experience never disappears or what do you mean by the name I? Any of these questions they they initiate this uh, well it seems to be a path to begin with it seems that we have to take a journey back towards ourselves and then when there is this recognition we realize oh actually i've always been this yes. being i haven't actually gone anywhere i was always this open, empty, inherently peaceful, unconditionally fulfilled being. But I had mistaken myself for uh, a, a cluster of thoughts and feelings. And the, the, if I could just give, give a, a brief analogy, take an actor called John Smith, who is playing the part of King Lear. Uh, King Lear is miserable because his daughters are, uh, are not behaving as he would like to be. And so King Lear is unhappy. Now, what does King Lear have to do to uh, regain his sense of well-being? Does he have to go and work on his relationships with his daughters? Does he have to go to therapy to work out each of the relationships and work through them? Or does he have to go on an arduous spiritual journey in order to find peace and happiness? No. All he has to do is ask himself, but who am I really? Am I all King Lear's thoughts, feelings? And, and as King Lear begins to ask himself all these questions, he, as it were, traces his way back to who he is essentially. And of course, who he is essentially is not King Lear, it's John Smith, the actor who is perfectly peaceful and fulfilled. So it is, but John Smith hasn't had to go anywhere. He hasn't had to become, sorry, King Lear hasn't had to become John mm -hmm. Smith. He was always John Smith. Mm -hmm. Yes. John Smith had just lost himself in, in that character. In the character. Yes. And the character, it seems at first that the character has to trace its way all the way back to John Smith, but actually he didn't go anywhere. He was always John Smith. So that is why it is called sometimes a, um, a pathless path, because there is no distance between King Lear and John Smith. Yes. And therefore no 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 room for a path, no room for effort. It's just this recognition, oh yes, this is what I already and always am. And then, of course, it is necessary to stand as that, to, 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 to 
take one's stand in one's, well, it's not a new identity, but in this recognition of one's identity. And then, and this is where the second step that I mentioned to begin with begins, we then have to go back out into the world and begin to think, feel, act, perceive and relate from this new sense of ourself. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate your time and uh, reflection on this domain of human well-being and our capacity to really, uh, each of us, to very much deepen the the truer foundations of of an everlasting well-being that's independent of all the activity of our daily lives. Thank you, Paul. So thank you very much. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you.